Hello, everyone, and welcome to Heresy Cast, a Warhammer 40k podcast. I am your host, Ed, and alongside me tonight will be the young Primarch himself, Gabe. Gabe, how's it going? Not bad. Not bad. And our greenhorn, Sean. How's it going, my friend? Um, feeling very green for this one, for sure. <laughs> Well, that's okay. So this being the inaugural episode, we'll kind of give a quick explanation real quick. This is a Warhammer 40k um, podcast where we're going to cover the hobby, the the game itself, the actual tabletop game, and the lore, of course. And we're going to open up the uh, the inaugural episode with the history of the galaxy. Part one. Probably. Probably. Because I don't know, like, I had this challenge of trying to keep these um, episodes to uh, an hour or less. And I've got a challenge to see if I can actually make that happen. Um, so, Sean, I, and for those of you that didn't tune into episode zero, myself, my Gabe, myself, uh, the host, Ed, we've got Gabe, the co-host. Sean is going to be our third host. And he, you don't really have a, a whole ton of experience with the, the Warhammer 40k lore. I know you've played a couple of spots on the game, but do you want to take a quick introduction to to moment to introduce yourself so that everyone knows who you are before we move on to the history of the galaxy so um i am an old guy with many health issues that uh likes to play games um my favorite games are arcade games but that's for another show and another time <laughs> and another universe also um, available in the dice Eight production umbrella yes um beyond that um tabletop games i never really like truly played competitive tabletop games i had played wings of war way back when um you know years ago and then when x-wing came out that's when i got into the tabletop game i played i dabbled in a little bit of um warhammer fantasy back when it was actually warhammer fantasy and loved the Bretonians and <laughs> that that human element, the horses, the knights, the charging, all of that type of stuff. Um, really loved that. Actually did that twice. I got into it the first time. I can't remember when. It was when the Orcs and Humans uh, box set came out. Um, and then I did it again later on about 10 years ago, 12 years ago. And then our group fell off. It was kind of a weird thing with the store we were playing in. So with miniatures and kind of like the 40 K style now, remember with fantasy back then you had trays. So you had, you know, I the, the old uh, movement trays. I saw someone, yeah. play, I saw someone playing in, um, an open source version of Warhammer fantasy battles, seventh edition. I guess they changed some rules. So they had, they literally had stuff in movement trays and it was kind of like a kickback to the old nostalgia. Like, oh, look, they're doing rank and file. I miss that. Yeah. And so getting used to getting used to the individual model movement and stuff like that was kind of a shock, but I, I kind of had some, some help with that. I did play a little bit of um, Warma Hordes and I played kind of the human element in that, that game. So got a little bit used to the, tape measure movement and all of that type of stuff and the kind of more freer movements with that. And then I played Legion for a little bit when Legion first came out and got used to that portion of it. And pretty much that's kind of like my major tabletop gaming experience. And then my son came to me one day and said, Hey dad, I'm going to get into Warhammer 40 K. Yes. Welcome to the club. Yeah, so then, you know, 
it's one of those things where, well, you know, if I have someone to play with, I'll try it. And so we've, we've actually played two very, very practice games. The first one was to get used to movement and things like that. He's playing, he's playing the, um, thousand sons, thousand sons. Thank you. And then I have right now I have space Marines. I'm playing ultramarines. But I also have, because they go with them, and I think I'll probably end up switching over to them later on, is the Astra Militarum, and then I have Sisters of Battle also. So they all can fit together and not create the the penalties and things like that. So Now, it's important to note that the reason why you have these particular armies is because you subscribe to Imperium Magazine, which so sends that, models every quite, couple of months. Sort of, yes, and sort of, no. So. When when I get into a game, I usually pick a faction and Space Marines was my faction because that was what I will call closest to humans that you know that I knew about at the time. And I'd still and argue then, that that's still the case. Like legitimately, yes. I'd say that's traditional. Like if you're into like World War II military, the Astra Militarum or the Imperial yep. Guard is I'm always going to know them as is probably your best bet because that's exact a lot of tanks and tons of infantry. Yes, and that's that's kind of where my switch will come to is I'll probably have three different armies or be able to, you know, mix and match a little bit. Um the Sisters of Battle came due to the Imperium magazine. Um so I subscribed to the Imperium magazines and one of the mixes with the Space Marines is the Sisters. So the Sisters and After Militarum are all in that mix too at the same time. But yeah, they give you like As a light, I, light taste of those armies. Just be like, yeah, you've got a couple of units. Right. And then they, they also give you four other armies or the, the beginnings of other armies, which I don't remember them all. I know Orcs is one of them. I know that Chaos, um, I'm not sure which Chaos, but one of the Chaos is one of them too. And it's, you know, my son took the Tyranids. Of course, I took Space Marines. And the nice thing about Imperium now, I haven't really done much with it yet because... If people will, you know, you guys know me, but I hate like starting and then waiting. And it's not because I'm impatient. It's just I'll lose interest and then, you know, won't go back to it. So right now we're at like 20, I think we're at 16 or 20 magazines at this point. So now I'll start diving in and learning that portion of it, you know, because it's a step by step. It's a very entry level version of learning the game. So it'll be a good thing for me because. Not only does it give you some lore, but it also gives you rules and then, of course, painting and all the different things like that. So now well, legitimately, and, after all of that, it's in as far as the the world of 40K, you are quite green. Uh, yeah, I, I really I really haven't read anything or really tried to learn anything yet. Uh, more so that's a time thing for me right now. Just, you know, it's. I have a lot on my plate and, you know, working on some stuff in my basement that's taken precedent with my son moving home back home. That took precedent. And, you know, now it's kind of once we get situated here, we'll be able to actually start playing and, you know, putting time towards 40K and, and playing some 40K. Well, hopefully we can help you with that. And we're just going to roll right into the main topic for tonight, which is we're going to try to condense the history of the galaxy in 40k 
So I'm just going to dive in right into it. There's a couple of precursors I think we need to cover to start off with. Um, the first thing I want to cover is that the Warhammer 40,000 universe is indeed based in our own universe. So Earth exists, Mars exists, Jupiter, Saturn, Pluto, all of those things uh, exist. Earth is uh, being the cradle of human society. Uh, has They call it Terra now, or more appropriately, Holy Terra, because it is the cradle of human um, civilization. Um, so that it's not like other IPs that we have, uh, you may have heard of before, like Star Wars, for example, where it's a long time ago in a galaxy far away, far, far away. Disney, don't come after me. Um, this, this is us. So the humans in there are humans. They are humans that in some way, shape or form genetically trace back to, to Earth. The second thing I want to cover over real quick is time and how they measure time, because that 40K or the real 40,000 that is in the title of the game represents the approximate year that they're in. So when you see that 40,000, it is genuinely approximately 40,000 years into our future, which leads into how they um, measure time. So just like we measure time now in centuries, like the 15th century, the 17th century, the 18th century, uh, or currently we're in the 21st century, they do the same things, except they do it on a little bit of a larger scale. They measure it in millennia. So for example, the year one, all the way up to the year 1000 would be M1. Uh, going into the following one, if you, the millennia that just passed, going from 1001 to the year 2000, that would have been M2. So canonically, we right now in the year 2022 would fall under the category of M3 being the third millennia. Um, there will be some instances in time where they decide to get even more precise as opposed to trying to condense it into a thousand year span, uh, in which case they use a dot or a period or a decimal point followed by three numbers representing the rest of the years. So, for example, if you were to measure the year 2022 when we are starting this podcast, that would come out as to M3.022, meaning 22 years into the third millennium. Does that make sense? It very much so does. Okay, so the, the last thing I want to cover over um, before we start actually getting into the real history of the galaxy um, is the immaterium or the warp, as it's more popularly known. So just like there, our galaxy currently exists, there is a dimension that lies just beside it, just underneath of it, right under the surface of our material world. Uh, it is known as the immaterium, or although more, more commonly known as the warp. Now, the warp is the resting place, I guess would be the easiest way of saying, of all emotions from sentient beings. Okay, are you you're getting ready to chime in on this because we're talking warp stuff. Oh, God, we're talking chaos. This is my expertise. Well, we're not even in chaos yet. We haven't gotten there. We'll, we'll get there. Um, we're talking about the warp, and we're talking about the nature of the warp. And one of the, the best explanations that I ever got about the warp came from Gabriel as he explained it to me of the game of Minecraft. In the game of Minecraft, there is a layer in the game called the Nether. Oh, so the best. Okay, this is the... The best example I can give is, so in Minecraft, you can build a portal to another dimension called the Nether. And the way, the reason the Nether is so useful is because one, basically one foot 
or I think it's one meter. One meter in the real world is equal to eight or one. Yeah, other way around. One meter, one meter in the nether is equal to eight meters in the real world. So if I travel 100 meters, I've traveled 800 in the real world. And so if I, you can make systems and that's how the warp works is that if I go X amount of distance in the warp, it is a greater distance than it is in our reality. So you can make travel times that would take thousands of years to make take a couple weeks because distances are just shorter in the warp. Yeah, so like they don't they don't necessarily break the laws of physics with their quote unquote faster than light travel um in 40k. So they don't go beyond sublight speeds. So how they tend to travel throughout the warp because the laws of matter, physics, time um all operate a little differently in the warp than they do in the material realm. Um that is um how they get around the like Gabe said, thousands of years it would take to get from one star to another. They use that to traverse the warp to be able to do that. Um, again, it is the 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 resting place for all sentient emotion eventually ends up into the warp. Um, all souls for sentient beings end up in the warp. Um, and one of the interesting things about it is that souls can come back out of the warp. So legitimately reincarnation is real in the fact that something that dies can go into the warp and then be later reborn out of the warp. Those are some of the basics for the warp. There is a couple other things, like, for example, the warp is not vo a massless void. There are things that exist inside the warp. There are stars, there are planets, there are whole systems that exist in the warp. There are also native residents to the, to the warp. We'll get a little bit deeper into those as well. Um, and the last part about the warp is the warp is the source for all psychic energy in the galaxy. So if you can imagine carrying around your iPhone in your pocket, the warp is actually the lithium battery that drives that. So depending on how strong of a connection a sentient being has to the warp represents how big the flow of energy from the warp is. So if you have just a little bit of psychic energy, it's a really, really tiny entry, and you can pull energy from the warp and actually manifest it in the natural world. Uh, if you're really, really powerful, you can make a really, really big opening into the warp and pull energy from the warp and use it. Now, the downside to that is, of course, those native residents of the warp. That is a two-way convoy, and it's entirely possible to pull something that is in the warp into the natural world. I think I'm stealing this analogy, but the best description I can give it is that if we think of the warp as an ocean above our plane of reality, and psychers are people who poke straws and holes through the top, the straw is too small for anybody and any demons on the other side to come through. But if you're able, if you're strong enough, you can pull a lot out of that small hole. And some people will open the hole wider to get more, I guess in this analogy, water to come out. But making the hole wider makes it easier for things to reach through and claw through. Whereas you can't reach through the straw, but the wider that you risk making it, the easier you make it for things to come through onto the other side. And you yourself are the conduit that they go through and they usually either possess you or explode your brain or all the kinds of fun stuff. All right, so... Those cover the very bare-bones basics of uh, what you need to understand before we get into this. 
Now we're going to start in history, and I'm just going to start counting down from the creation of the universe, and we're going to be working, or the creation's probably not, the start of the universe. What's the word I'm looking for? The, whenever, the genus of the universe moving forward. So the very first beings, uh, the very first thing that happens after the you know, superheated gas begin to coalesce into stars and those begin to co in the accretion disk start to create bare, bare, uh, planets. We start getting our first quote unquote sentient races that begin to exist in the galaxy. Um, these are the Catan. Uh, the Catan are these formless, bodiless entities um, who are probably at this stage barely even aware that anything else in the galaxy even exists. Uh, they are known as the star gods for a reason, because they feed on stars. That is what they eat. And they will quite literally move into a system, begin to feed off of the parent star when the parent star has exhausted all of its energies over tens of thousands of years. They will simply move on to the next system they don't really at this stage in the history don't really notice much of anything else going on in the, the galaxy they don't really have physical forms they don't really have physical minds as we could imagine but they exist and they'll be important a little bit later uh here in the story if we want to get down to our actual flesh and blood physical beings uh to evolve in the galaxy we're going to get to a about a billion years ago or so, and we're going to talk about the old one. Uh, the old ones were the first physical race to evolve in our galaxy. The old ones, uh, having evolved a billion years before everyone else, were our extraordinarily advanced civilization. They mastered time, they mastered space, they mastered ma matter. Um, they're also mastered psychic energies and connections to the warp. They are they, they spanned the galaxy over time. Uh, they began to recognize the dangers of traveling in the warp. Um, one of the things I think we forgot to mention about the warp, weird things can happen in the warp because it is um, not bound by the same laws of physics, time, and matter that we're used to. It's entirely possible for you to travel into the warp, travel a very short distance, a handful of parsecs, and exit the warp and be 4,000 years into the future because time doesn't operate the same way in the warp as it does in reality. Uh, there are some rare <laughs> cases where people have exited the warp before they entered. So it's kind of like that whole Schrodinger's cat. I don't know, Schrodinger's cat. It's the grandfather paradox kind of thing. Like once someone goes into the warp, they can exit the warp in a time period before they actually entered the warp. So how did they enter the warp in the first place kind of thing? But they're rare. There are some documented cases, though, of people actually exiting the warp. The old ones knew this. The old ones knew um, they also had some concerns about some of the residents of the warp. So in order to further their plans of expanding throughout the galaxy, they needed to find another way to travel that was safer. So they created an interconnected network of portals in a pocket dimension that basically circumvented the rules of the warp and allowed them to travel from point A to point B without ever having to enter the warp. Um, this is called the webway. And through this technology, the old ones were able to create webway gates throughout the galaxy and expand their empire throughout the entire galaxy. And, am I missing anything at this point, Jack? Game? Not that I can think of. Um, 
so one of the other things that they did is that that being psychers themselves and once you've calculated once you've conquered the entire galaxy and you have nothing else better to do they decided to start tinkering and start making things um specifically evolving species to see what would happen and how they would work there are species in the galaxy that evolved naturally on their own without the manipulation or intervention of the old ones but there are definitely those species that were 100 percent generated and engineered by the old ones to exist now i have a personal theory i don't know if i can ever be proven i don't know if i'm going to be proven wrong and maybe someone in the comments could potentially prove me wrong on this one i have a theory that all of the sentient races that have psychic energies and psychic powers are those races that were created by the old one and there are a handful of races out there that do not have a connection to the warp that do not have a connection to psychic powers those ones in my opinion are the ones that evolved naturally so I don't know if that's an accurate statement. I've always kind of helped that um, held that belief structure. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure that's true. I don't remember where I read that, but I'm pretty sure that's true. Yeah, I feel like that's. I feel like it's. It could be wrong, and someone proved me wrong. Sean, at any point in time, if you want us to stop, slow down. If you've got questions, by all means. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm, I'm gonna. Run. I, I'm keeping up. Well, so it's good, up. good to know this stuff. Perfect. So now we're gonna get to a. About, we're going to take from a billion years ago. We're going to kind of condense that to about 80 to 75 million years ago. So over that span of times, the old ones have expanded the galaxy. They've created some races. They've watched races evolve. Um, one of the races that they did not have anything whatsoever to do with um, was a race by the name of the Necrontier. Um I should probably point out at this juncture, every single one of these bullet points that I'm going over for the most part moving forward are probably entire shows, one hour shows by themselves. We're going to try to give the Cliff Notes version on these and then double back on a lot of this stuff to, to give a much more detailed explanation. So I'm going to try to attempt to keep this short. Um, but anyway, long story short, Necron, the Necrontier evolved around a star that was extraordinarily radioactive. Uh, so much so that all life on their planet didn't live much more beyond 30 to 35 years. If someone hit that age in the Necrontier society, they were considered to be an elder. Um, their entire society, their entire world at that point began to evolve into this society that was basically burying and honoring and, uh, honoring and venerating the dead. So they become tomb worlds, meaning because every person that lives there, they don't really live all that long. So all of these tomb worlds just begin to house the dead uh, of the Necrontier race. Now, the Necrontier recognized what the problem was, being the parent star that their planet re revolved around, and tried to find a way out of it. Tried to find, like, all right, well, we're going to create these generational ships and go over to the next star over and see if that helps the situation. See if we can live longer than 35 years if we're away from our parent star. And they did it the old-fashioned way. They put a whole bunch of generation of people in ships, sent them out to those stars, and unfortunately their problems followed them. What they found is even though their race would move away further and further away from their star, their parent star, whatever their genetic congenital issues were, did not go away. So you have, on one hand, the race of the old ones who were basically eternal and immortal, and you have the Necrontier, on the other hand, who only live 30-some years and then they're gone, um, they have an encounter with the Old One. 
And when the old ones meet them, they share a little bit of information and immediately the Necrontier pick up on the fact that they're immortal, that they don't die. So the Necrontier are like, well, hey, great. Maybe you can share some of that information with us so that we can help our people and allow our people to live longer than 30 some years. Well, the, the old ones uh, rejected that proposal. They did not want to share that information with the Necrontier. And this made the Necrontier very, very angry. Well, on top of that, ne- the Necrontier did not have very advanced technology. So the ship that they used to get to the old ones was like the like a generational ship that took forever to get there. So they had traveled all this way across the galaxy to come speak to these people, and they basically said, we're not going to help you turn around and go home. So needless to say, this made the Necrontier race very angry. Um, the Necrontier have a... I, I, I don't even know what I want to say. It's not, it's not necessarily... It's, it's a... It's, um, a royal system. I'm trying to think of the, the right word, word for it. But it's a system where you have all of these quote-unquote royal leaders that lead these individual factions. Um, there's a lot of infighting that happens amongst all of them, but this particular event, when the old ones denied them um, any of the information of how to become immortal, um, was a galvanizing event for the Necrontier race, and they decided, well, if we can't have it, we're going to try to take it. Um, and that went as well as you could probably expect. You have these puny Necrontier race that is literally billion years behind in technology and advancements um, to the old ones, not to mention the fact that the old ones had access to the webway and were able to zoom around the galaxy with the Necrontier had to send generational ships. Um, The war, uh, this is affectionately known, by the way, as the war in heaven. Um, So the war is not going well for the Necron races, and the Necrons begin to... uh, Necron-tier, there you go. See, Freudian slips, they're not quite the Necrons yet. Um, So the Necron-tier begin to fight amongst themselves, recognizing that they've entered into this hopeless battle that they're never going to win. Well, in and around that time, they found that... And I don't know if it's necessarily that a specific Catan, I think it is the Nightbringer, if I'm not mistaken. They found out the reason why their parent star was giving off the radiation that it was. And it was because it was being fed upon by a Catan. And they were able to start communicating with this faceless, formless intelligence that was in and around their star system. And over time, they began, they tried to convince and eventually did convince this particular Catan to come to their planet and take a physical form. And what they chose, to, the, the, the vehicle that they chose to, to do so um, was this thing called Necrodermis. It's this liquid living metal um, that is extraordinarily tough, strong, and it, it being living metal, it actually can regenerate and heal itself. And they convinced the Catan, they built this entire gigantic body for it to inhabit. And once it did, it began to get an idea of what physical existence was like. And lo and behold, it knew all along about the the old ones and the fact that they existed. Somehow, some way, it had had its encounters with the old ones before, and they weren't very particularly fans of the old ones either. So the king of the Necron tier at that time struck a deal. The enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing, where you don't like the old ones, we don't like the old ones, why don't we join forces and go and take them out? 
And this particular Catan contacted all of his Catan buddies, got on Catan Facebook, I guess, and got them all together. And they all came down and they joined the Necrontier in the fight against the old one. And this was a tipping point um, in the battle that allowed the, the Necrontier to actually start not only winning battles, but actually taking the upper hand in the battle. Um, all the while, I'm trying to remember at what point in time the Necrodermis transference happens that takes them away. I believe it is in and around this same time where the Deceiver, one of the Catan, convinces uh, Zarek, the Silent King, the leader of all of the, the Necrontier, that one of the ways to beat this the issues that they're having with their they're not being a they're not having a very long lifespan was something that he called biotransference, which would transfer your living person and your your thoughts mind your whole consciousness into a metal physical form and then you would be immortal which sounded like a fantastic idea at the time so Zarek convinced all the leaders of all the Necrontier that this biotransference was a good thing i mean our races don't live very long anyway and this will be a great way to get us into these physical forms and then we can last longer we can fight this battle against the old ones and we can win now the Deceiver is called the Deceiver for a reason. I think he went by a different name during that time frame, obviously. Um, this was a trick. Um, most of the average common folk of the Necrontier didn't maintain much more than rudimentary um, biofunctions and thought processes when they got transferred into these metal necro, uh, necrodermis uh, bodies. Uh, they became the foot soldiers of what would now become the Necron. Um, occasionally, you had high lords, you had these leaders of these particular houses. They were given, like, you know, when you go to the car wash, you have the, the $6 one, but then you have the $22 one that does all the fancy stuff. They got the $22 car wash, um, which allowed them to retain their consciousness. So while most of the common folk who weren't really that important to the Catan um, just got the bare bones basic. Okay, now you're into a physical form. Too bad you don't remember your family, your kids, but here, here's a gun, go into battle. Um, the other leaders got uh, a much better treatment that allowed them to retain their thoughts, retain their memories, and sent them out into battle. The, once the Catan got their hearts set on taking out the old ones, they, they, they now had a physical army to be able to go and do so. So they shared a whole bunch of secrets. All of a sudden, the Necrons are now tipping the battle into their favor to beating the, the old ones. Now, what happened to his race was not lost on Zarek the Silent King. He recognized what a horrible decision he had made. He had basically, he had basically um, forced the extinction of his entire race in physical form to have them transferred into these metal bodies. And while it solved the immortality issue, it didn't. It, it completely annihilated all of the Necrontier race. So knowing that he'd been tricked by the Catan, he started hatching a plan, which was that they intended to betray the, this, the Catan the second the battle was over. They began developing an idea of how they were going to physically break up these Necron, Necrodermis bodies that the, the Catan inhabited into shards, into thousands and thousands of shards. He didn't believe that they could kill them, which they couldn't, um, but if you broke up their power into a thousands and thousands of pieces, they would be much, much weaker and easier to manipulate and easier to control. So he begins hatching this plan. 
So keeping that in the back of your head, right around the time the old ones are beginning to recognize the battles aren't going well and they need help. They need to do something similar to what the Catan did in pulling another race into the battle. So they decide to do the same things. Um, this is around the time that they take one of their species that they have created, the, the Eldar, a uh, highly psychic race, and they start pulling them into the battle. They also had another race and they eventually turn into orcs, but they weren't the orcs that we will eventually know and love from 40k now. These orcs were actually intelligent. They, these guys actually spoke normal English words. Um, they were a highly evolved species. They called the Cork, I think they are, um, and probably mispronouncing it. Uh, these This race will eventually devolve into the orcs that we know and love from 40k now. Excuse me, oh. it's pronounced Kork. K-R-O-R-K. Kork. Okay, I apologize. In any case, so the old ones do the same thing that the Necron, that the Catan do. They've got a race, a couple of races on their back pocket. The Necron's got a big face. In their, so now what we're talking about, and we're talking about this battle has taken place over 10 million years. From about 75 million years ago to about 65 million years ago, when the Orcs and the Elder are created for the War of Heaven, and they begin to be it, tossed into the battle. So now... Some weird things start happening in the warp with all of the death that's going on and all of the souls that are getting flooded into the warp and all the bad emotions that are getting fluttering, flooding into the warp. There's some churning going on in the warp. We'll, just, we'll, we'll leave that there. So ultimately in the Necrons and the Catan were victorious. They ended up defeating the, the old ones. They ended up destroying all their cities, killing all. Well, most of them are completely extinct. I think there are some stories of a handful of old ones that may or may not have survived the war in heaven. Um, but they decided to leave the galaxy because they were completely unprotected and they knew that it was bad. Now, this was a devastating war on both sides. And the Necrons were fully well aware of the fact that having fought this war, they needed to act quickly to shatter the Catan, separate them out by their power, and start looking ahead at what they had coming next, which is the Quarks. How did you say it again, Gabe? Quark? Quarks. The Quarks. K-R-O-R-K. K-R-O-R-K. The Quarks and the Eldar breathing down their necks. So they have sh they shatter the Catan, they turn on them, they break them up. They actually begin to use some of them for power sources and some of their weapons. Um, and Pieces of these Catans go everywhere. So now they've eliminated the old ones. They've eliminated, for the most part, the Catan. And they've enslaved the ones, the shards that they have. Um, but they are not powerful enough to take on the strength of these two other races. So in a brilliant decision, what they decide to do is go to sleep. Uh, the Necrons, recognizing they can't possibly win this movie, they begin to shut down. They begin to go back to their worlds, their tomb worlds, and bury themselves quite literally in the sands so they can sleep. They're going to literally go to bed and let all of this blow over, let life return to the galaxy, and let them be forgotten to the annals of time where they can eventually wake back up and take the rightful place of rulers of the galaxy. So that is what happens they they go into their tomb worlds they hide around the necron king how uh, the ne the silent king of the necron basically being ashamed of what he had done 
decided that one of his last actions was to be was to exile himself from the galaxy. Once all of the tomb worlds had gone to sleep and they are in hiding, and he is confident that his people are safe, as relatively safe as they can be, he takes his particular ships and he exits the galaxy, almost to never be heard from again. So, war's over. Necrons decided to vanish. What does that leave? It leaves the orcs to, without the assistance of the old ones around, the orcs begin to devolve. Um, they become far less intelligent. They become um, far less sophisticated. And they kind of taper off in power for now. That leaves the Eldar to take over what's left in the galaxy. The old one's webway system is still in place. The Eldar have access to it. And they just pick up where the old ones left off with their conquests of the galaxy using the webway technology from the old ones to spread out over the entire galaxy. Now, we this is a, like I said, this is in and around 65 million years ago. Um, we had talked about the warp and those churnings in the warp. And now I think is a good time to start talking in and around 65 million years ago at the end of the War of Heaven about the three chaos god so this is where Gabe's his ears have perked up he's ready to go because this is one of his areas of expertise um all of those bad emotions all of those deaths basically forced into creation in the warp three entities um these entities representing war honor death and destruction that would be the chaos god of corn you have the rot, decay, entropy, everything's going to die eventually. That became the chaos god of Nurgle. And then you had the everything's going to change. There's the, nothing ever stays the same god of Zeech. So these three gods, and they are like, I think it's important to note. I think they're, I was just reading this, uh, in, uh, reading this the other day. There is some controversy of whether or not the, the gods of chaos themselves actually have physical forms or not. I had always been told that they don't. I was always told that there is, like, they're they're very much like the the Catan world, where there are an intelligence, there is an essence, but there's no physical form. However, I have since been pointed out to me that there, especially with these three specific gods, there are entries in books that specifically say, I don't know, someone decided to put a nurgling on Corn's throne, and when he sat down, it exploded and it made a fart noise. Kind of thing. I recognize it's a joke, but it's an actual canon book, which means if Corn is sitting down on a throne, that means Corn has a physical form. In my honest opinion, I believe that it's up to interpretation. I, I can see that. I think that they both do and do not have physical forms simultaneously. I think that depending at the time, they could. For example, if they have to interact directly with something, they will have physical forms. But Corn has a throne. Corn has like that exists. Corn has his own throne. realm. <laughs> the skull throne is a real thing. And so I think or like, for example, Nurgle is constantly working on new different plagues, and he has a gigantic witch's cauldron that he is constantly stirring. That's up to interpretation as to whether that is literally a giant cauldron that he's playing physically like, real, physically real, or if it is just a representation of what it's doing. So the the book, or not necessarily the book, the codex that was pointed out to me, I guess in the Eldari codex, Eldari is the Eldar, 
Uh, we'll get into that name change at some point in time. Um, apparently, when they're talking about the story arc for the Avatar of Cain, the Eldar god Cain has a physical altercation with not only Korn and Nurgle, but also Zeech. So that god, that Eldar god, has a like. Physical how do, how does he have a physical confrontation with a with a god if they don't have a physical? Form? I agree with you. I think that beings of this power can choose to have a form or not have a form. Um, whether there's an actual at the heart of it a physical body behind them, I don't know. But over this time frame, it took this kind of combat, it took this kind of death, it took this kind of suffering to force these entities into creation inside the warp. So all of the psychic energy and all, all the, like he said, all of the emotions that were built up created these gods, but both, all of these gods are, the best way I can describe it is like a coin. Each coin has two sides. We're at, with corn. Um, obviously there's the blood, death, murder. Everybody knows the skull for the skull. Kill, like, kill, kill. Yeah, just kill. Blood for the blood god, skulls for the skull throne. Everybody knows that. But on the other side of the coin, corn is also entirely about honor and strength and like bravery and co like corn will never stab you in the back he will always fight yeah, you head on and be yeah, honest he's gonna kill you he's you're you're gonna have a weapon in your hand and he's gonna be staring you in the face and he, he's, so because that always comes down to the question of like well if everyone knows that the chaos gods are bad why do people go, why do people turn to chaos turn to chaos and follow because chaos? because both, there are some good sides to chaos for example one of the main reasons that i enjoy nurgle as much as i do is because obviously there's the nasty plagues and death and grossness and the weird the, bony things that grow out of your back yeah. and an extra arm but at the core of it nurgle is also acceptance and knowing that no matter what point in time you are in your life you are going to die and like learning to accept that and like knowing like like stagnation and knowing that there's a finite end which is why nurgle nurgle does not like zinch at all because whereas nurgle likes that finite end Zinch is like, who knows what's going to happen? But yeah. then at the same time with Zinch, while everything, while nothing is certain, that's also a bad thing. So nothing that you have is certain, but no bad things are certain either. So it's just all, it's two yeah, sides. Zinch is considered to be like the one that's quite deceiving. Like Zinch has always got plans within plans within plans kind of thing. Um, but sometimes it's a good thing. It depends on how you take it. So there are... Two we don't want to make the gods point. of chaos sound like they're completely like the ultimate bad guys in the 40k universe although i would there's a pretty good case for that i will play devil's advocate to say chaos is not inherently evil right i would say that it's it, there's two sides to a coin like you said um where some of the things that the the gods of chaos do are bad and some of the things that the gods of chaos do are good they're not necessarily it's it all depends on how it's applied all right, so we've got about 15 minutes left, and I think now's a good time. So at this point in time, um, unfortunately, a lot of the fluff and storyline that is associated with the Warhammer 40k universe is written from the Imperial perspective. Games Workshop is getting better. Um, they are doing books that are very Necron central. They are doing books that are very like Eldari central. But for the most part, a vast, vast majority of the 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 stories that we have considered to be canon um come from the imperium perspective that the i forgot to mention that at the beginning um imperium of mankind that is us that's humans 
So we're going to fast forward the timeline from 65 million years ago to about 10,000 years ago uh, in year in and around negative M8. Um, this is when it is believed that the person who will eventually be known as the emperor of mankind is born. And that, that takes some explanation here. So I am under the impression now that the official Games Workshop position on the origin of the emperor of mankind isn't important. It's not. You just need to know that in and around a certain point in time of history, he shows up and he has all of these powers. I personally wanted to know where all of that came from. Um, the upside of having a 20 plus years of history written down in books going back to the 80s is that some of the stuff that they wrote down at the time. Um, long story short, the way the story used to go, there was an old story about the Emperor of Mankind and how he came into being. Bug. Oh, <laughs> a fly. Sorry. How the Emperor of Mankind came into being. And the original story was this is in or around eight to 10,000 years ago in human time frames um, is when the stories of the first like shamans or wizards or things like that started happening on Earth. Um, we now know that that was humans early um, evolutions into having psychers. And they were just beginning to scratch the surface of being able to encounter the warp. Um, some of these, and some, again, this is not necessarily official games workshop. This is just the old story that's probably been retconned. Um, some of these shamans began to recognize that the whole reincarnation thing, that they could they could live, they could die, they could go to this place, they could come back, and they were capable of retaining their memory. So they began to be able to live multiple lives. This became a regular thing for these folks. Well, in and around the time that the chaos gods begin to take form, they started to recognize that some of the people that would go into the warp didn't come back. And they started to be concerned that, well, if Jimmy over here died and didn't come back, how do I know that Sally over there is not going to do the same thing or, or me? So what they elected to do is they all decided, and this had to have been, I forget what the number was, the unofficial number. I feel like it's somewhere in the numbers of like 60 or 100 all of these shamans decided, here's what we're going to do. We're all going to die at the exact same time. We are all going to go into the warp at the exact same time. And we're all going to come back at the exact same time. And hopefully come back in a single person. And that was one of the origin stories of how the Emperor of Mankind came into being. They went ahead and did this. The souls went into the warp and they came back into a single person person kind of crazy yet so far sean are you still with me on that yeah while you're going through it i'm actually on the 40k wiki and kind of following along with you and what you're talking about um good so i'm I, not even i'm looking at my notes i'm not even looking at that so by I, am i close <laughs> yeah so far i mean i didn't go into the 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 pre-evolution you know and the you know the, the initial wars you talked about but when it came to the gods, you know, the chaos gods, that's where it's easier to pick up on from that point on, you know. Perfect. Well, yeah, because it's well, because anything before M1, M2 in human history, the, there's no documentation. Like we, we know loosely when them, some things happen, but like it's a lot of guesswork. Right. Um, right. So technically, if we consider if we consider it now the emperor of Man the emperor of mankind has always been here since that point in time moving forward. But 
being aware of what was going on in the warp and he saw visions of what was going to happen to humanity and the galaxy he knew that he had to be the one to save us but he needed certain events to happen through the natural course of time and ensure that things happen the way that they were supposed to so he's always been here from eight to ten thousand years ago moving forward like in theory if the 40k story were true today the Emperor's alive today, right now, in 2022. He's a CEO at some company trying to form a cure for this particular thing. Or he's a warlord in some country trying to kill off this particular section because he's trying to shape and form the events of human history so that they get him to the point where he can unify the entire planet. That's his ultimate goal. Right. Also, in and around that same time frame, um, one of the shards from the Catan that got broken up about 65 million years ago from a Catan known as the Void Dragon, happened to come in and around our system, and the Emperor said, you know, did the Superman thing, I guess, and decided to fight the Void Dragon and imprison it in Mars. He basically took the shard of the Void Dragon and buried it under the surface of, the Ma of Mars in the hopes that nobody would ever, ever find it. Spoiler alert. That that's going to lead to something else later down the line. Um, so that's M1. That's from about the year 1 to 1000. Um, in and around M2, because we're going to start jumping some timescales here, um, the Chaos Gods themselves are officially born. And when a Chaos God is born, it's not just a, you know, Mazatov, it's a boy. It's, uh, there are gigantic explosions in the rips and time space in the warp. And these create these phenomena throughout the galaxy known as warp storms, where all kinds of weird, crazy stuff happens. Now, humanity doesn't notice any of this because we're not a spacefaring race at that time. Um, but these three particular gods are born. Now, there's all kinds of weird theories, and you look at specific uh, warp storms. If you ever get a hold of the map of the galaxy in 40K, there are some folks that believe, oh, this is the one where Zinch was born, and this is the one where Nurgle was born. I have no evidence to support arguments like that. I can tell you of another god I can point to and say, yep, there's a guarantee. I know where that one came from. I think one of the ones interesting, but at the same time I find kind of silly, is that I think it was written somewhere by Games Workshop that Corn was born in our medieval age, whenever all those bloody Correct. wars were going on, like stuff like that. Where it's just like it's it's all they were born around then. It's all generalization. It's just we did enough stuff that eventually they were like officially created and started being so, affecting like affecting the warp in the. And I have heard that story too, that it took like the, the brutalities of the first 2000 years or so of human history to, to form the chaos gods. The problem that I had with that is 65 million years ago, there were races that were completely wiped off the face of the galaxy in the war in heaven that didn't birth a chaos God, but a couple of thousand humans over like, you know, hundreds of thousands of humans over a certain time period. That was enough to, to, to spawn chaos. Hey, man, well, this is written from the human perspective. Didn't you say though, this was human centric. Exactly. No. That's what I was just going to say. Right. Too. So the, yeah, it, so it, it's the, uh, the victor goes the spoils, you know, it's the history. History is written by the victors. Right. Or the unreliable you know, narrator, one or the other. Correct. Correct. So we'll just pin that and say sometime in and around M2 is when the gods, these churning forces that were in the warp, 
actually came into being and actually begin to start affecting affecting things inside of our our material world. Um, moving a little bit forward in human history, uh, sometime in and around M three is when the planet Mars is going to be terraformed. Or a couple of minutes ago, when I said that the the Void Dragon, the shard of the Void Dragon, got buried on Mars. Um, yep. Just keep that in the back of your head. Just keep that back there for a couple of minutes. Um, human technology begins to advance and at a very accelerated rate. Um, Mars is 100% terraformed. Earth is beginning to get, you know, close to fe- close to light speed kind of ships. We're advancing in technologies. We're advancing in computers. We keep going higher and higher and higher. This would be um, for the next, oh, I don't know, 12,000 years uh humans continue to move forward and press into these even more advanced technologies and more advanced uh migration of the species we begin to leave the confines of our own solar system we started with mars we basically colonized our entire planet our entire solar system and then we started pressing out further and further and further in and around that same time frame is when the eldar empire having full access to the webway reaches its highest peaks of high meaning there's not much more that they can do um there's not much more they can take over there's not more to the interest in taking them taking over and unfortunately i think that's probably where i'm gonna have to stop it's affectionately known as the dark age of technology um now by human standards because some really crazy things are about to start happening in human history um with all of this crazy technology that we've got going on and we're gonna have to save that conversation for the next time for part two of the history of the galaxy i got far i wanted to get a little bit further but i didn't like the very next things we need to get into is how humans begin to evolve warp travel and what a geller field is and what navigators are and that is a really big conversation that i don't have enough time for in this episode So that is where we're going to hit the pause button on this one. We'll go ahead and pick this up in the next episode in two weeks. Uh, We'll pick up part two where we're going to pick up with the warp travel and we'll move forward from there. So I want to thank everyone for joining us. Gabe, had fun. Yeah. yeah. First one. Sean, do you feel like you've learned some things? Yep. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like I said, I've been going kind of with you with the wiki, you know, as we as we go through it and stuff, which gives me some good places and or some good um a good bookmark anyway of where to start you know learning the you know because you're skimming like you said you're you're going very quickly and skimming and there's a lot of information that has to go yeah and the next yeah the next couple of thousands of years we have way more information so we have way more details a lot of the stuff up until around this point in time has been like I've had to skim because there aren't a ton of details because no one was around that had the details back then to ever write it down and survive. So like once we start getting into this era of human civilization at at minimum, we're going to start getting into some of the bigger events that we do have concrete stuff going on. So understood. I'm going to bid everyone a good night. I hope you enjoyed uh, the show. There are a couple of things I do want to touch on real quick. Uh, if you want to support the show, I think I mentioned this earlier in the show, we are we do fall under the Dice Hate Productions uh, umbrella of shows. Dice Hate Productions has a Patreon, so hop on over to Patreon and take a look under Dice Hate Productions if you'd like to share uh, um, support the show. We would really appreciate it. So would our producer. He would really, really like it. 
Um, if you want to join us in conversations and you've got 40K questions that you need answered or just want to tell me how screwed up and wrong I made a couple of things, we have a Discord available too. That's also going to be in the, the link in the description if you're watching this on YouTube. If not, it'll be... Uh, Chris will find a place to put it somewhere in the description of the podcast if you want to listen to it. But you can hop over to the Discord and join us all over there. And I, I get the opportunity now to announce we have an official subreddit uh, on Reddit. Uh, that's going to be r slash heresycast. Hop on over if you want to join us over there. Kick over some weird, crazy pictures from 40K uh, cosplays. That'll be fun. We'll enjoy it. Um, it'll be great. So those are the three ways, that the easiest ways to contact us. Chris did mention to me, I keep, I keep talking about this ethereal Chris on the top layer. Chris is the producer of our show, for those that aren't aware. Uh, He's the he's the he's the god emperor of Dice Age. Yeah, he's sitting on his golden throne, looking down at us, and occasionally providing us a light to see through the through the wharf. Yes, that's what he's doing. Um, he's he's also going to be editing all of this. So, hi, Chris. How are you? Good, um, thanks, Ed. Oh, see, there he is. See, oh, there it is—the omnipresent voice. I've heard it. Um, so yeah, he would absolutely love it. If you would love to support the show, by all means, check us out over at Patreon. Uh, there'll be a link in the description there. We have the discord hop us over and join us there. And of course the subreddit, uh, Chris did mention to me that he thought it'd be a really, really cool idea if we started also an Instagram account. Uh, I'm not necessarily, that'll be me. I'll that'll get, be, I'll that, get that, on that. I, I, I'm genuinely looking in your direction because I'm like, the, <laughs> I'll, like, uh, I'll get on that. Sean said it earlier. He's an old guy. I'm an older guy too. For those who aren't, weren't on for episode zero, Gabe is my son. Oh, the old timers need me to do the tech stuff. I got it. I don't. It's social media and like legitimately I'll get like it. after Facebook, <laughs> it like went completely away from me. Like I don't know what the TikToks are. I mean, I know what it is. It's a Chinese spying software. Man, the but, last <laughs> thing we need is the last thing we need is Harry Cast TikTok. Oof. Yeah, please don't. Uh, unless it's funny, and then maybe <laughs> unless it's funny and then maybe so all right that's gonna do it uh next week we'll pick right up where we left off with the uh, the dark age of technology and all of the fun things that happened after that so until next time guys thanks for joining us